Vic's Basement is brought to you by The Gaming Stadium. They are Canada's leader in online esports tournament facilitation, and they've got tournaments happening every single weekend that you don't want to miss out on. You can find out all about them at tgs.gg. Hey, welcome to my basement, everybody. Boy, have we got a treat for you, especially if you happen to be a Star Wars fan. And you know what? I know you are. We've got Sam Witwer in the house. You know him as Deacon St. John from Days Gone. He's Starkiller in The Force Unleashed. He's the voice of Darth Maul. And you've seen him in all kinds of cool shows like Being Human, Battlestar Galactica, The Walking Dead, Smallville, Supergirl, and many, many more. And we also have David W. Collins. You know him from hosting Star Wars events and red carpets all over the galaxy. He is an actor and a sound editor and a sound designer and much more. He played Proxy in The Force Unleashed as well as being its audio lead. He worked on sound design for The Last of Us. He is the voice of Dad in Boss Baby, uh, back in business. And uh, along with Sam, he has voiced numerous stormtroopers over the years. It is an honor to have you both in the basement. I've had you guys on the show before individually, but you're good friends, and I've wanted to do something with the two of you for a long time. And Bad Batch is that conduit. David, you worked on the show. And Sam, uh, I know that you know everybody that's involved, and we all love the show. I saw you guys both tweeting about it. Um, and I wanted to talk about it. I know that you guys, as well as being, uh, you know, true ambassadors for Star Wars, you're also giant fanboys for the Star Wars lore as am I. So I thought we could nerd out for a little bit and talk about the Bad Batch. Sam, let me hear from you first, because your perspective was a bit different. You were so involved with the Clone Wars over the years and your friends with Dave Filoni and, and uh, the, the crew assembling it. What was it like watching the Bad Batch? Um, really unpleasant. I, you know, because I was like, th this is missing, um, Darth Maul and it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> no, 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 no. Here's, here's the feeling I got, you know, I, I remember when Bad Batch started airing in the first, after the first few episodes, I wrote David and I said, you know what I really love about the Bad Batch is that if I were to explain what's happening in this plot to 12 year old me, 12 year old me would go, I yes. don't know what you're talking about clones and camino and the uh you know the politics between the empire now and and all this stuff i i would be interested but there's nothing that would anchor me to the original four five and six so 12 year old me would be lost and i'm i'm gleeful about that fact you know what i mean right. i'm gleeful because it means we're in really interesting story material which can go anywhere that is based on mythology that has been built up recently you know what i mean yeah, through george yeah. lucas's prequels and and through the clone wars and so i'm i'm very excited very excited about learning about a new area of star wars that isn't any kind of retread of what we've seen before i love that love that yeah 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 same except we have you know tidbits about the clone wars or the clones mentioned in the original trilogy and we don't know who the stormtroopers are. I was thinking back right. to watching the original Star Wars and just being freaked out by the iconography, the imagery of those stormtroopers and wondering, are they robots? What's underneath their mask? And the fact that this show is starting to answer that in some creepy details and some creepy ways, it's incredible. I, oh, dude, and I'm, I'm sitting here going, because I said to David, another thing, I, I, we talk all the time, we're friends. Uh, yeah. I said to David, I said, listen, you know, the, I, I have always been an advocate for stormtroopers being clones. And then in Rebels, they're recruits, or at least some of them are recruits. And it's kind of ambiguous. And this show seems to be saying, no, 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 they're 
recruits, but it's providing some really interesting story material because the clones, it seems to me, and David, don't give away any spoilers, but with Hauser and stuff, it seems that if your army is used to working with the Jedi and you're the Empire, maybe that's not the army for you. You know, like uh, the Hauser thing was interesting. I was like, this is a guy who did Order 66, but he's not okay with what's happening, you know? Um, yeah. I don't know. So, so, so what, what Star Wars is now turning me around. I always wanted the Stormtroopers to be clones. I thought, you know, but now, and, and it's, I think that was George Lucas's original idea, but it's hard to say. He's, yeah. he's gone back and forth on it. And so now that they're providing some really interesting story material about like what's happening to the clones and are they being phased out? I'm now completely on board with whichever way it goes, you know, like are the stormtroopers of the original trilogy recruits? Are they Sparty clones from Mount Tantus? You know, to like, yeah. I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah. And I can't wait yes. to find out. I but know. Dude, what I just said is a bunch of gobbledygook. You know what I mean? And that's yep. what I kind of love. It, it isn't like, it's new lore. It's new mythology. It's new mythology. Like, yeah. like it's, I would be lost. 12 year old me who was a star Wars expert would be utterly lost with what I just said. You know, that's so. awesome. David, how did, how did the, uh, uh, the work come to you? Did you get like a big stack of the whole season scripts right out, right out of the gate and you were completely <laughs> spoiled or, or did you, was it parsed out a little bit? How was it working on the show for you? This might surprise people, but um, this goes back to uh, Star Wars Resistance, which is a, a show that I did for for two seasons as well. And and um, uh, the same was true on Bad Batch as it was on Resistance, which is when they are completely done with the visuals and episode, they turn it over to Skywalker Sound. So I receive it and it's got, you know, the dialogue in it and it's got some temp of it, like guide tracks in it. You know, this is what we're probably going to do with the music. This is kind of what we're thinking you know, effects wise, it will be quiet here and loud here, whatever. And that's the first time I see it. And, okay. um, you know, and, and so, and in fact, I have meetings with the director, Brad Rao, and, and he says, I, I, I apologize for having to spoil this for you, but you need to know <laughs> that in this episode, there's going to be this really weird thing. And he'll describe, I'm so sorry to spoil it for you, but you know, there's just that, like, he's really, you know, he, he treat, he doesn't want to ruin the surprise, which I think is, just kind of a delightful, uh, wonderful you know, sign of the the type of people that I'm working with. You know, they're they're so invested and and they want me to have a gut reaction to it. Um, I suppose it's a similar method that John Williams has. He doesn't read a script; he reacts to the raw visual and the footage and the edit because the edit really does. You know how something's edited together, how it's shot, how it's lit really does inform how you do sound design or sound editing for it and music composition as well. I'm not the composer. It's the kind of brothers. Yeah. Kevin Kiner is just incredible. Um, but I react to it in its raw form for the first time. Um, and then I kind of get a map of where it's going um, just so I can start thinking about certain uh, episodes that are going to have big sound like, okay, you need to start thinking about this, you know, so you can start thinking about what you're going to design, what resources and materials you're going to gather. And then uh, uh, other than that, it's just here it is. And we'll see you when you're done at, at the mix and uh, you know, and we'll give you notes and we'll jam on it together. So that's, that's it. awesome. Yeah. Dude, you were at uh, LucasArts um, uh, for a long time and you worked on Republic Commando and there are echoes of Republic Commando all the way through this season uh and you're bringing back sounds and voices and talk to me about the the connections between uh, the bad batch and republic commando 
Yeah, you know, the, the voices are all D. Bradley Baker, who is insanely, yeah. insanely good. As if we had any doubt, this is just kind of, I think, his his uh, uh, show of force, the ultimate I mean, flex, Emmy for know? this, right? Like, honestly, yeah, if, if, please. if this... You, you, like, you got to do it. I mean, it's yes. not just the Bad Batch. It's, I mean, there are episodes, like the first episode, he's an entire cafeteria of these guys in the right. first episode. You know, yes. it's not just the Batch. It's the Batch and everyone else. <clears throat> you know, that he's doing. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I did a little work to kind of help, you know, with the, with the different helmet futzes and things like that and some positioning, but it's all him, you know? Yeah. Um, but in terms of sounds and Republic commando, uh, this goes all the way back to uh, February of 2020. I was, I was doing a, a show for um, the star Wars YouTube channel, the star Wars kids channel called galaxy yep. of adventures. And, yep. and I was up in uh, Matt Wood's office. He's my, he's my boss. And, He's like, yeah, there's this there's this new series coming down. And he showed me that opening scene from one on one with Aftermath where, you know, the Bad Batch rolls the snowball and boulder downhill and takes out all the battle droids. And I hosted a panel in 2015 with Dave Filoni about the animatics that weren't completed of the Bad Batch arc that eventually uh, happened in season seven of the Clone Wars. Yeah. And back then I was like, well, this is George's kind of continuation of that special elite forces idea of Republic commando because George Lucas really was the one that told us at the end of Republic commando to make them all have very different personalities, different voices. He even suggested we contact Robin Williams and try and get him to play one of the funny clones. Um, you know, that Holy was crap. all George. So when I saw wow. the Bad Batch, I thought, Scorch, well, by is- the way, Scorch, he, he, he Scorch. suggested that, yeah, like, let's just be, because the audience is going to be like, one of the funny well, clones. Well, he wasn't like, called Scorch uh, yet. That, that came later. It was just, hey, we have a bunch of clones and, um, you know, you should have one that's like funny and you should have one that's, you know, uh, you know, more bloodthirsty or one that's, you know, more uh, nerdy so, or whatever. You know? So he was, that was really that's amazing. So he was really and Filoni were really trying to humanize these creations, these characters. Well, this well, was I, you know, I don't have much insight that, into the Bad Batch in terms of of how that came about. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, they were breaking so many stories in the Clone Wars. You know, I was just yeah. reacting to it, uh, you know, in a raw form in 2015 that it reminded me of something that I worked on for, for two years. You know, this very passionate game that, you know, game that we were all very passionate about called Republic Commando. Yeah. And so it just felt like in my wheelhouse, I'd spent so many little years of my life thinking about how to do sound for this. And so I, I pitched Matt. I said, I really want to do this series. You know, and he said, okay, okay, because I'd done resistance and I'd done a couple of other things. And and so I was assigned to the series and I just threw myself at it because I was so in love with the concept. And to, to echo what Sam said, no pun intended, um, with echo there, um, but to echo what <laughs> there Sam is, said, there, there's a literal pun in every, there is no way, now the Star Wars universe is so big, we can't say yeah. anything without it being a pun at this no point. Escape. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> but it is, the, 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 the time period is wide open with possibility. Yeah. And and when Republic Commando, when I first started, I mean, you know, when, when uh, Crosshair attaches this little, um, I don't know, wire trap to his sniper rifle to take out the Federation tanks in the very opening scene of the Bad Batch. Um, I used the very first sound I ever made for Republic Commander, which is a weapon oh, pickup man. sound that I did That's awesome. you know, for our first milestone, just as kind of like a circle is now complete moment for me. But yeah, I didn't, I on it sounds naive. I didn't think anybody would notice. Um, but later on, and I didn't know this at the time when Republic commandos actually showed up, absolutely. I brought out the DC 17 sounds and I brought out a lot of the UI sounds. And then there was 
one shot um this must have been in um it wasn't battle scars i think it was reunion where uh cad bane takes out uh hunter and hunter wakes up in the visor and i recreated all of the sounds that happen upon a level load in republic commando for that specific scene wow. and the director was like what are those sounds that you added and i said well <laughs> <laughs> it's it's the level load from Republic Commando, you know, of your visor waking up, and I, it's just a nice Easter egg. We, and he's like, "Oh, well, yeah, we got to do that. Yeah, leave that in." That's awesome. I have a question so, about uh, that, uh, really yeah. quick, before you move on. Um, and I haven't asked you this, so it's interesting that I get to ask you online. I've seen you uh, on one or two occasions doing sound design in real time where I got to be in your office and you're like, Oh, grab that and put that there and blah, blah, blah. Oh, you know what? In episode two, I think there was this interesting thing. Okay. Let's go into the archives. Okay. There's the episode two thing. And, and he does it at that speed, by the way, like, yeah, this television, you have to actually work. <laughs> yes. Really, really. I mean, it was extraordinary how fast he was, his hands were flying all over stuff and pulling things from the Lucasfilm archives. But my, I have a Lucasfilm archives question your video game stuff is all in the Lucasfilm archives uh, of sound effects. But is that sort of a an interesting, since LucasArts is no longer around, is that mm. sort of an interesting, like, if you imagine the Lucasfilm archives as the digital version of the warehouse from, from Raiders of the Lost Ark with the boxes, <laughs> do you are you going in a forgotten corner in the back of the warehouse where all of the video game sounds are living and, and none of the other sound designers know about that area? I mean, tell me about that. Yeah. They know about it. I mean, so yeah. I mean, the answer is probably not as 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 interesting as the you know the finding the lost ark somewhere in in a giant warehouse. But, <laughs> Just, but do you ever throw the whip there. to Matt Wood and he throws you the idol and then he's that's like, right, that's right. <laughs> well, here's here's the real answer. The real answer is I was I was there when a lot of those sounds were made. Even if I didn't make them, I was still right. having meetings about here's how we're going to name this file for the engine. You know, we're it'll have this kind of prefix stuff. It's all really boring, dry stuff for this interview. But um, the way that uh, the Skywalker Sound Library is, and I think any effects library for anyone working in in sound design is, you know, it's a database and you look things up like, you know, you type in keywords and there are descriptions and categories and what movie is it from? What show is it from? What collection is it from? Mm -hmm. The LucasArts stuff, you know, we were a small group at LucasArts by comparison to Skywalker Sound. And so we didn't have a full-time librarian writing all of these descriptions and, and, you know, cataloging all this stuff. So there was a data transfer, really a data dump from, from LucasArts to Sky Sound. And they have a Sky FX LucasArts uh, specific library but when you go into it it's a little um it's a little hard to wrap your head around um if you don't have any context you know there's the file names and there's what game it's from um but yeah. it's thousands and tens upon thousands tens of thousands of files well i named a lot of those files <laughs> so for me i'm in this unique position where i can just go in and be like okay i hear a sound in my head you know what would be really cool for this is that that ui sound from the original star wars battlefront for the you know on the blue screen getting moving around it's like that or, or the or the the star wars starfighter ui would be great for this little button that omega pushes i hear it in my head let me go find it ah there it is that's amazing spot it in and it's in and i move on you know, and it and it's just because I, I, I hear Star Wars. Not, I don't just hear the movies in my head. I hear the games because of how often we, you're you know, in an, an incredible threshold it. right there, David. I mean, you're in yeah. this the middle point of the shows, the movies, the yeah. animation and the video games. Is yeah. there another person like you um, in, well, I mean, in production like that? 
in terms of video games, no. Um, That's incredible. In terms of TV, well, I mean, the, the, the ultimate source is, is Matthew Wood. And, and I think that he just kind of trusted me to, to kind of bring that back in. And, and But again, that's really it, the question that I have, dude, is that it's like, yeah. because you have that, that uh, institutional knowledge of where a treasure trove of Star Wars sounds that were never heard in the movies or the TV shows. Yeah. Uh, but you know where they are. And you're the only guy who knows that they're there. So <laughs> in a way, they, if they... I don't know if that's true. Well, is it true, though? I mean, you just said that, that, that you know, like, for example, okay, Matt would, would have an insight. <laughs> Any, anyone could do it. Anyone could go in and go in and grab those sounds and find something that they like and cut it in. I, I just... I just don't know if they have the emotional attachment to it that I have. And, um, and that's the and, other uh, equation too. Is that who you find yourself working with both of you guys when you're working on Lucas projects? Because, you know, as we all know, star Wars is all of ours. Now it's much bigger right. than a idea that George Lucas had it. it we, we all own it in a way. Do you yeah. feel that when you go to work on a, a star Wars project that everybody has this real, deep appreciation and knowledge and and layers of love that stretch forever Sam, i would say yes i would i yeah. would say that when like for example it's not widely known but they generally tap a lot of us when they need uh background voices for stuff yeah. and and it's yeah. simply because they're like who do we know that knows how to make sounds that sound like they're in star wars well these guys <laughs> these girls you know what i mean like they they grab the voice actors that worked on on various Star Wars projects like Clone Wars and they, they bring us in, you know, and, and we don't really ever talk about it. But I mean, you know, um, you're in the family. Yeah, sort of. I mean, you know, D David Collins and I um, enabled enabled by Matt Wood um, have <laughs> we have snuck in every Star Wars movie that Disney has come out with. There is a conversation between two stormtroopers and it's always me and David and it's always about the same subject. They're always oh, awesome. about this this piece of equipment that keeps getting revised or downgraded or upgraded, and it's always this like the same essential piece of equipment but different versions. So it's it's the most boring subject matter. But it, in every movie, if you listen, you can hear stormtroopers talking about the T something, and there's a whole chronology to the drama behind the evolution of it. Is this all? It all grew out of okay. Remember in in Star Wars Episode Four. And it, they either say the TC-16 or the T-16. We did, we just decided to be, call it T-16, a different yeah. piece of equipment than the Skyhopper, by the way. But yeah. the Stormtroopers go, I had to hear about the T-16. Yeah, some of the other guys were telling about that. That's something, uh, quite a thing to see. What was that? That's nothing. Don't worry about it. And so so we reasoned that like when Force Awakens happened, there's two Stormtroopers talking. And then this time the Stormtroopers go, Hey, did you hear about the new T-17? Yeah, I hear it's yeah. uh, quite a thing to see. <laughs> oh, no, it's not. <laughs> they should have stuck yeah. with the 16. Like, the 17 is, you know, all hype, yeah. no, you know. And so... We, we came up with rev numbers. Yes. Like, okay, here's the rev... And, and so, and, and here's the crazy thing. And I, Sorry, Sam, I'll let you continue. It made it into the subtitling. Like, if you yeah. watch... Oh, that's Force awesome. Awakens, <laughs> if you make... If you watch Force Awakens on the Blu-ray, on Blu-ray or on, online, and you turn on the subtitles, when Ray's sneaking around, you'll hear these two just dippy, you know, idiots uh, in circular base talking about how T-17s are finally replacing these T-16s. And I hear they're great. And Sam's like, no, no, that's what they do. No, they're not. No. They should have stuck yeah. with this. Yeah, <laughs> and what's funny is, and then if you go to like, for example, depending on where you are in the chronology, if you go to, if you go Rogue to Rogue One. One, the two stormtroopers on the beach are like, 
hey, did you hear the T-15 is being marked obsolete? <laughs> yeah, it's about time for that. You know, I'm like, yeah. the T-16 so now, happens so in the Star T-16s, Wars. Yeah, the T-16s are about to become new, thus setting up the conversation. Oh, that's amazing. Idiots in, in A New Hope, because now they're new. Yeah, they're quite a thing to see, you know. Yeah. And, then, so, uh, I, and then if you go back even further in Solo, in M- Mimban, there's two uh, mud troopers in the, in the pit going, uh, I think Sam goes, uh, 15s are down. And I just say, we walk from here, you know, and that's, and it's just like, <laughs> there's Jones. this whole like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern type. Oh, of, that's you amazing. Know, there's a logic trooper commentary going on. Yeah. You know? That, that if you're a stormtrooper, this is extremely meaningful, uh, continuity. <laughs> yeah. But if you're yeah. anyone else, this doesn't mean a damn, there's no one cares, but for stormtroopers, this is really interesting. But anyway, I, so I, for, I, I see like, a Dave Filoni animated series in your future on this you guys it's it, dude it's 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 and, it, and again it, it feels like such a uh an ego weird thing that we're doing except for the fact that we do it anyway and matt would yeah. make sure that it gets in the movie and it's just so it's so well, he's dumb. the mastermind i mean he actually he is. like he is. on rise of skywalker and the last jedi he's like we got to find a place for this and he actually sat me down and had me scrub through when as a sky's unemployed scrub through <laughs> of I'm not kidding you. Of uh, was it, it of solo? It was either solo or, or I think it was solo. He had me scrub through wheels and be like, "Where can we put this thing?" You know. And in <laughs> in Last Jedi, it's really really buried in the background. Um, but in Rise of Skywalker, it's you know they're they're going through and I can't remember what it was, but it's like. 17s aren't working. Okay, we're going to go on foot. Or are they doing the perimeter or whatever? We're looking for them on Kijimi or something. But yeah, it's in it's in everything. And Matt really is. I mean, he's the guy that basically put together this loop troop of actors to you know be huge nerds and um and yeah. create all the background characters i love it you know n- now now also for marvel he's you know we did wandavision and falcon and winter soldier and and all, all that stuff too i mean he's really really uh uh mastered how to put together these troops of actors that are going to bring tons of improv because it's there's just all these cues you have to fill and it has to sound legit and somehow in universe totally, and if you're gonna yeah. improvise you have to know how to put things together in, in star wars lingo and 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 then move on you know because it happens so quickly um yeah anyway. it's yeah yeah so you know that yeah so they do you know they talking about the institutional knowledge um yeah they bring us in for for the odd thing trusting that we'll be able to help fill out their background stuff i mean you know and again we don't talk about it like i you know i i'm the in in mandalorian i'm that i'm that security droid that goes that says to Bill Burr, you know, you are prisoner four five three eight seven. You know, come with you know Marshall Dune immediately or whatever the hell he yeah. says. And yeah, you know, yeah. like uh, me and David played the same guy in Rogue One who's banging on the door, help us! We it ping pongs between our voices for that guy. I got to say because the, yeah, because the production the production sound was filled with noise, and so they had us yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's it's yeah, a that's Mandalorian with like. Yeah, go ahead, Victor. Oh, no, I, well, a, I want to ask how much things have changed because you guys were both pre-Disney and a part of the Star Wars and Lucasfilm, LucasArts family, and were there for a long time, actually, you know, working on different things. And then Disney came in um, and I, it it felt like it just it ballooned. It just got huge and big and the movies came back. Um, Disney Plus, I think, has just been a, a huge benefit to uh, fantasy-fueled escapism across Marvel and Star Wars. But does it feel the same or does it feel more pressure? Does it feel like it's the same kinds of work, same people? Talk a, a bit about how uh, how it's, it's changed. 
it seemed like it was going to entirely change. And then now mm. years later, it's like, no, <laughs> it's all the <laughs> usual suspects. It's all the people that, <laughs> I mean, they're, they're the old guard at Lucasfilm is alive and well, it, yeah. you know, I mean, it's, it, which just feels great. You just keep bumping into the same people and they're doing the same jobs, you know? And, 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 and I think for me, it's really heartening because Lucasfilm was okay. Like, you know, when Clone Wars was doing its thing, Lucasfilm and, and, and this is, this goes for David as well, being in the video game division, star Wars is like, you know, one of the biggest mythologies of the world, if not like the biggest and, you know, all stemming from this incredible film that George Lucas made on against all odds. Yeah. And then you fast forward and George is trying all kinds of weird stuff and not always have the press been kind to those <laughs> efforts. Yes. Um, yes. you know, like for example, the gaming press hasn't always been effusive in terms of, uh, you know, especially the sound work, the gaming press tends to gloss over, oh, it's just the Star Wars sounds, or they might right. say, oh, it's the great Star Wars sounds. And they don't realize, no, those sounds were meticulously recreated in different ways for the needs of these video games. Like much more work went in than just pressing the Star Wars button. Right. Right. And, in, and then in the meantime, you know, um, Lucasfilm animation, when it started, was uh i don't know i would say a bit of an underdog you know the mm. fans didn't accept it what who's this who's this tween that skywalker's been set up with that says sky guy and artui and you know this ahsoka character we don't want her we never asked for her and all this stuff yeah and and so but but we were david and i were working in different parts of lucasfilm and sometimes the same parts of lucasfilm whether it be force unleashed or clone wars or video games public commando all these things we did it because we thought it was cool that's the only reason we did it um yeah. you know someone said oh you got paid be like not always very well it's not about that it was never about that you know um yeah. it was always about we love star wars we think it's cool so and 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 sometimes that's a painful journey when the critics savage you or the fans savage you and and it's not that much fun so to fast forward years later and see that these things that were seen as failures at the time, like Clone Wars for a while was seen yeah. as this giant misstep failure, right? Right, right. Now it's this legendary thing. Republic Commando at the time, I remember David Collins. You know, do you know David Collins? I don't know why I used your, both your first and last name, but David <laughs> Collins said to me, but David was like, we worked really hard on Republic Commando and this is the response we're getting. And I remember feeling him feeling like he'd been beat mm. up a little bit. And now fast forward and people were like Republic commando. Oh yeah. my God. You know, like yeah. it's they, there's been a weird vindication. So when you talk about the old guard at Lucasfilm, the old guard are the people that have been through all those things and the, and who have taken their lumps and <laughs> taken punches and slings and arrows and all this stuff. And to go forward and see that the old guard is the nucleus behind things like, you know, Bad Batch and Mandalorian and that Lucasfilm animation, for example, these underdogs are now stronger than ever in terms of their yeah. ability to put out incredible content. So, so yeah, it's very vindicating and really fun to bump into all these people that, you know, I felt like at the time we're like, well, we're doing this weird thing and no one really cares, but we think it's really cool. And now fast forward and, and the fans are like, no, we all think it's really cool. Like, oh, cool. Awesome. <laughs> like, yeah. And Bad Batch is interesting because Bad Batch is like, like 
it's the first time that I've seen a Lucasfilm animation project that was out of the gate accepted by the fans. That's right. fun to see because usually right. they just beat the hell out of you for the first season or two, and then they start locking into it. And this one, they're like, we think Omega's cool, and we like yeah. the Bad Batch. And we're like, oh, <laughs> let's go. <You> know, <laughs> from an observer, it's very, from an observer standpoint, my standpoint, it's super awesome to see home team, the old guard at Lucasfilm, you know, hitting a home run out of the gate. David, do you feel similarly? I I love this I love this era. I'm having more fun now than I've than I've ever had, and and I'm I I I was so lucky to have a chance to work on Star Wars once for during my ten years at LucasArts. I felt like I'd won the lottery. You know, I, I went away and I worked at Sony for a while, and I went freelance for a while, and then my phone started ringing again. To to have lightning strike twice like that is. I just can't believe my good fortune in, in being able to do this stuff. So I, I give it everything I have because it's my my first love and my my greatest passion is Star Wars. And and uh, um, this era is filled with so much opportunity that that yeah. feels like everyone is now seeing it the way that I've I've seen it since I was a child. Which is well, but mm. everything is everything looks to Star Wars because it's the biggest brand in the world, right? And now it feels. Yeah like that you know when i was when we were doing force unleashed there were games and there was clone wars and um it was a it was a huge brand but at a, at a very family small company you know yeah and yeah. now it's it's there's so much great material coming out that um that the opportunity to you know to grow and to work in animation and work in film and then you know work in games as well um speaking of which um one just kind of a, a nice sort of uh, friendship story. So Sam and I have known each other for over 20 years and uh, we met through one of my childhood friends and he just was a, just a huge supporter of, of games and Star Wars in general and just called me one day, you know, and so we've been friends ever since. Obviously, we got to work together and all of that. For the last 15 weeks, I've received two phone calls. One is from my friend Harrison Deutsch, who a couple of years ago shipped Jedi Fallen Order because he's a dialogue supervisor at Respawn. Nice. And he called me every every Friday morning to and to tell me what he thought of the episode. And the other was Sam Witwer. Th for the awesome. last 15 weeks, without fail, every set every Friday morning, I got a phone call from from my two friends about Star that's Wars. Awesome. And it felt like we were kids. Even though I worked yeah. on it, it felt like we were kids because he was, you know, just I I I, I didn't spoil anything for him. I didn't, you know, thank say, God you oh, didn't you know, watch out for this, even though. He was Darth Maul, even though yeah. you know, he did the the Phantom Apprentice episode and that crazy, crazy arc in in season seven and everything he had done before, Mortis, everything. Um, I could feel that you know, in Sam's tweets. I could feel that he was just yeah. along for the ride and just I think really yeah. reveling in that, weren't you? That that oh, cool I'm, new opportunity. Every so here's how I felt when when Bad Batch episodes would come out or a Mandalorian episode or, or you know, or Clone yes. Wars, even when Clone Wars, okay, just to, to take you back, when Clone Wars first came out, I wasn't a huge fan. Having said that, I also recognized that there was tons of potential and a lot of really good work being done. So I was yeah. like, look, it's a kid's show. It's not for me, but I'm glad they're doing this because yeah. this is filling in the spot that used to be the droids Ewoks adventure hour. And this is infinitely higher quality than that, right? Sure. Um, and even though I love that old show. Um, then going forward, George Lucas aging the series every year so that it, mm. it appealed to, you know, if it was made for eight-year-olds in season one, season two is for nine-year-olds. Eventually, you start reaching the point where George Lucas is like, 
well, I made the Empire Strikes Back for 12 year olds. So it's got to get to that level of sophistication. You know, like he, he was smart enough to keep aging that show. And around season two, I started going to David to be like, hey, I'm really starting to like the Clone Wars, like genuinely, like not just appreciate it, but I'm really starting to get pulled into the story. And then they hired me. So I want to make sure that what I say to answer your question, uh, it isn't actually colored by my participation or non-participation in Lucasfilm. I became a fan of Clone Wars before they hired me. Um, You and I had a very frank discussion about The Last Jedi uh, on one of your, you know, previous uh, appearances on the show. And I think that's one of the things that we're all learning as Star Wars fans, right? Is that, you know, divisive things can come from this galaxy, from this universe of content, but it adds to it. It stacks on top of it. And the tendrils go out in a bunch of different ways. And what we're seeing now with the technology and the you know the generational kind of connection to the mythology of star wars and the new money let's be honest that disney keeps investing into this brand because it it is uh uh, so important to the company is these risks are paying off and we're getting and and it is it's just like waking up on friday mornings or or uh staying up too late yeah. yeah, well, so 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 the way that I feel and again, you know, just to to address what you said, I don't necessarily, you know, like I have my opinions like anyone else. I don't necessarily love every piece of Star Wars that I see. Yeah. Um, having said that, I want people to love Star Wars. Right. So if someone asks me my opinion, happy to give you my opinion, but I'm not out there trying to prosecute my opinion and that everyone must agree with me. Like, no, I, I have no. no interest in making people dislike something that they like, yeah. especially if it's Star Wars, because anyone liking Star Wars helps my cause, which is I love Star Wars. Right. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's my feeling on on even, the, you know, like, again, that's, that was my feeling when Clone Wars came out. I'm like, I don't like this and I don't like that they're doing this, this and this. And I don't like that. But I appreciate that they're doing this. And yeah. I like this and this and this. I think that's cool. And then eventually it won me over. Um, you know, so so again, you know, just to make it clear, when people ask me my opinion, I'm always very honest about it. But I'm I'm only answering because someone asked. I'm not out there trying to change people's minds on what they love because no. life is short. And yeah. when you love something, that makes life a little bit better, you know, especially with, with when it comes to entertainment. But anyway, to answer your question about what this is all like for me, when Bad Batch comes out, you know, I get to lay on my floor, turn off the lights in my TV room, lay around with my dogs, crank the audio and uh, watch a little Star Wars movie every Friday. And that's yeah. why I called David, because I'm like, hey, did you see the new Star Wars movie this Friday? Did you make? <laughs> <laughs> you no, know? I, I didn't see it. I, and it's the same. Th- I made shot. it. <laughs> yeah. It's the same thing I, I feel about Mandalorian. It's like I, I sit down and I just I love being transported to that universe. Yeah. It's my favorite thing in the world. And and, you know, it's a couple of friends of mine developed this theory about, you know, they call it the window theory, which is that when you're like somewhere between, uh, you know, eight years old to 16 or 17 years old, your window is open and you are watching something and fully taking in what it is. And you're not questioning it. You're just experiencing it. And then as you start getting older, uh, you, you start getting more sophisticated, but you also start having things like ego get involved and your window starts closing. Mm. And some of that is good. 
And some of that is bad. The good part is the sophistication. The bad part is your own ego and your own, you know, preference. And basically you start saying, well, I wouldn't have done it this way, or I would have done it that way. And sure, I don't yeah. like this because of that reason or this reason. And that's normal. That's, that's, that's fine. But as you get older as eventually the window sort of closes, unless you're trying to keep it open, unless you're trying to pry it open. And for me, you know, I think as I've gotten older, especially in this business, I just want to be entertained. Totally, really yeah. And, and and it must be hard for both of you guys to be open to that because you're so intimately involved. And, and how do you not dissect these things? And it's, you know, watch the, the thing, you, right? OK, yeah. so so, for example, for like, say, uh, Star Trek Picard, if we're talking about, you know, in the sci fi world, yeah. I just love the hell out of it now. Yeah. If you were to put my cap on of being critical, I can I can rattle off a list of things that I'm like, why did you do that? But I'm like, dude, am I here to be entertained or not? You know, yeah. am I here to look for things that to love or not? Am I going to keep my window open a little bit or am I just going to shut it? So right. I I ended up absolutely loving Picard. Star Wars yeah. is harder because I work on it. So yeah. necessarily my cap of my cap of uh, being critical of Star Wars, because that cap goes firmly on when I work on it. Hey, you can ask David, I'm a pain in the ass. I'm like, I don't know about this line or <laughs> I'm bumping on this. I'm bumping on this. Why, you know, should he, I mean, you can ask Dave Filoni and, you know, he's just like, just oh, say the line, Sam. You know, saying to Dave, I'm like, you know, he's calling him this and he really should call him that and stuff like that. And, and, and the problem is sometimes I'll actually hit on a real problem. So they tolerate me when I bring up all this stuff. Cause they're like, ah, every now and then Sam will find something. So let's just let him talk. <laughs> but but having said that, they yeah. make it easy for me to keep that window open. When I watch Bad Bash, it's easy for me to get excited about Star Wars and just become a 12-year-old again. When I watched Mandalorian, they 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 just oh have their God. bases. You know, the Bad Batch Mandalorian, the bases are so covered in terms of the detail and richness of this universe and what what the heart of Star Wars. They have it so right. And also well, they, plus they, they they focus on things uh, on corners of this huge galaxy that are easier for our busy minds to wrap themselves around. You know, I think one of the the challenges with Clone Wars and, and Sam, you and I had a text chain going on because you knew every single corner and you were telling me every single reason why. And I was like, holy crap, this is a novel about, you know, and so I watched the show again with all of that insight. But it's dense, like Clone Wars, yeah. like you have to commit like there is a thing happening here and over there and there's intersection there and there's ramifications over there. Bad Batch has that, too. But it's about these people and yeah. we can focus on that. And Mandalorian, same thing, right? Like the the containment of the adventure, I think, was a major benefit in, in um the additive qualities of these shows and how they connect to everything, but also being able to get our focus, you know, they didn't mm -hmm. over complicate the situation or overreach with what they were pulling in. And, and the way that they grow feels very akin to the way the, the growth of 1977 star Wars and, and uh, empire strikes back kind of grew. It feels less encumbered by the weight of our expectation and more about right. just reveling in the, the joy of the fantasy fulfillment. It's, it's amazing work. Yeah. I mean, that, well, that's my I, observation. Absolutely. And for me, when there is a certain attention to detail being paid, 
it just helps to create the drama, you know, how certain things work and how they behave. And, and also just observing, you know, I remember this is, this is going to sound funny, but it's like, again, one of the, the cardinal rules for me in making star Wars is, you know, especially or playing Darth Maul or whatever is you got to make sure that what you're making is at least aware of what has been made and, and that it enhances what has been made. Um, because people worked really hard on that thing over there. And in fact, if people are still talking about that thing that was made 20, 30 years ago, they, they've really achieved something. And you should, you always want to give a different perspective on things, but you must make sure that you don't necessarily step on things. I remember when the Fantasy Flight Star Wars role-playing game was coming out and there was a little sidebar. They were talking about hyperspace travel and there was all this... In role-playing game books, there's always a bunch of lore, right? And they were writing in, and I was reading the, the beta version of their book, right? And there was a whole sidebar about hyperspace travel, how it works, and that if you hyperdrive into a planet, it has devastating consequences to the planet. It would might crack the planet in half or devastate a continent if, if you're flying hyperdrive and you smash into a planet. To which I immediately wrote an email saying, you have to eliminate that sidebar. Well, why? It's a great sidebar. Be like, because they would never have built a Death Star. And the drama of Star Wars depends on the Death Star. Don't right. undercut the drama of Star Wars. You know, there was a reason the Death Star was built and that they that the Emperor, you know, put huge resources into it. And if you look at the Clone Wars, it even goes back on how they funded the Death Star and kept it secret. And all the, it's not right, right. out front, but it's in that right. series. And, oh, and this is I, circling right back to Last Jedi, right? <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, look, 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 look. The, 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 I'm, I'm speaking purely as a guy who has, has worked on this, you know, I'm not, I'm not commenting on, for example, you know, I'm a huge Robert E. Howard fan. That doesn't mean that I don't love other people writing for Conan every now and then, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. You have to, you have to introduce the new blood, but yeah. I'm, but what I'm saying is concerning bad batch, when I watch it and I consider the implications of things, it exists in even though they're taking risks and doing weird stuff, I'm like, that's a really interesting perspective on that. Or that gives yeah. a new little twist to something that I've seen before. The fact that this happened here. And I just love, uh, I love working with people that have that institutional knowledge. David Collins has that. If I say, what if we do this? He can go, mm, but if we do that affects this and this, and we have to be oh. aware of that. Dave Filoni, yeah. same thing. He has a computer yeah. in his brain where I go, what if I say this line instead, Dave? And Dave goes, well, we've got to make sure because Vader does this. So we got to make sure not to tread on Vader territory. He's got to be unique, even though, you know, like he'll go and then he'll go into a monologue about like, you know, it's, it's important that these characters remain distinct from each other. It's one of the reasons why General Grievous is who he is in the Lucas Clone Wars. And he was he, he he was totally different in the Gennady Clone Wars. In the Gennady yeah. Clone Wars, he's a little too close to Vader. He's the unstoppable yeah. cyborg. Be like, no, we've already done that. That's Vader. Yeah. Grievous is Nosferatu. He's the villain that takes his cape and goes, ah, he's that guy, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, they've been working on this stuff for so long that their that their knowledge, their institutional knowledge is uh pretty unassailable. And when they do deviate from an expectation you know that it's a very calculated move. It's, it's, a it's really move. fun to watch. David, you know, I, I, I would like to add, if I, if I can, you know, I, I think going back to your earlier question about, you know, how has it changed uh, under Disney? And yeah. my answer being about uh, more opportunity. Um, 
Sam refers to it as the old guard. I think a, a, a probably a, a more crystallized way to say it is not old or new um, because there are a ton of, of young new employees of which, mm-hmm. you know, Sam and I were both at, at one point. The, the, common, the common thing and what's really been preserved and I think had an opportunity to shine even more because there's more opportunity is company culture um, that was set by George Lucas, set by Dave Filoni. And the company culture is one of, of highest standards of excellence at ILM, Skywalker Sound, LucasArts. And the, and the core, I guess, um, the, the sort of old uh, uh, company mission is excellence and surprise and delight at every, every turn. And that requires mm. an insane amount of passion and knowledge. You know, there's, um, there are some employees that, I, that I've met now in the Disney era that have come on that are just, they live, eat, sleep, breathe this stuff as, as fans and they apply that to their work, you know? Um, and so, you know, it's almost more of like a, of a tr- of an old guard culture, like a traditional culture, but there are some, there are more people working on star Wars now than ever before. You know, mm-hmm. there's, there's a, there's a real sense of um, there's a real sense of camaraderie and loving the same thing and working on the same thing because you all want to go the extra mile. I mean, just doing the finale of the bad batch, you know, the scheduling was for whatever reason, you know, we get to the end of the season and the scheduling gets a little tight and we're doing both sure. of those last two episodes very quickly, but everyone is just pouring their love and their know-how into it. And I don't mean by working crazy hours because part of part of being really good at something, which is what's so amazing about the Lucasfilm animation team is that they're able to do things that look photoreal or hyper-stylized and amazing in a very short amount of time, you know, um, because a lot of people out there can do things that are, that are amazing on their home computers, but it's about how quickly and efficiently you can do it and know that it's right. And it does take that passion and that, um, that knowledge of, of, of the lore or, you know, sort of the, the, the self-discipline to, to, to bring that to the series. And, and I think that that's really what I've seen in, in the Disney era is that there is this sort of collective excitement of making uh, new Star Wars, but still making it feel, you know, especially with the Bad Batch, as true to the uh, George's roots and, and to the Clone Wars and everything that came before um, that then we even had the opportunity to express back in the day because we were a much smaller company. I don't know if that makes sure. sense. It's, you know, you, you make a really good point because some of the people that I'm including in this old guard thing, when I really review it, I'm like, oh, no, no, those 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 were Disney era hires, mm-hmm. you know, like, mm-hmm. oh, the old guard, like Star Wars Rebels. Be like, Star Wars Rebels was after the, the Disney show. Was after- yeah. <laughs> it's more, I think it's more accurate to say that it's a culture, you know. It's, it's, a, a, culture. it's a culture. No, you're totally right. Largely, you're totally right. You know, and Kathleen Kennedy came in and she said, we are going to make Star Wars. We're going to make stuff. We're going to make all kinds of stuff as opposed to, well, and this could have been a very easy move back in the 2000s of we don't need to make anything. We're going to license everything out because we yeah. have a license print money with this brand and we're going to let everyone else absorb the risk. You know, we'll That's, let, that is, ab- yeah. And, Do you and remember not what happened? The exact <clears throat> opposite has happened. Kathy That's Kennedy right. Came and now we're making more than we've ever made before. I mean, right. stagecraft. It's a feast. And, it's and a buffet, man. Doing. I can't I can't tell you enough how excited I am by, you know, by by everything that's going on and all of the all of the energy, the sort of influx of energy and all this new production that's happening. It feels like it must have felt for ILM in that warehouse in Van Nuys in the 70s. And then it, yeah. making the trilogy. there's this air of excitement in the air, you know. And but they had to wait, though. The that's the, like they you had to wait. They had to put, they had to like, well, they were busy, but we as fans, we had to wait 
so long. We were reading our star logs and, you know, right. checking out the comic books and just making yeah. up stories in our minds. Now we get them all the time, you know, and, and it's made by people that, that love it. And, and one of the things that Sam and I have been talking about for 20 years, I'm not even kidding you. I know where you're going with this. Yeah, mm-hmm. Sam mentioned Star Trek, uh, and Sam really is the reason why I love Star Trek. I had seen, you know, the big movies in theaters as a kid, but, but you know, when I met Sam, I started putting Star Trek episodes of the original series in my Netflix queue back when it was like mm-hmm. two episodes on a DVD. Mm-hmm. And Sam kind of encouraged me to keep going, and I watched all the original series, all of the Next Generation, you know, all the films over again, even some of the ones that I, I couldn't remember even watching. And what I said to him at the time was, Boy, you know what's interesting about Star Trek is that it's a numbers game. And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, imagine <clears throat> loving Star Wars and worshiping it like it's the greatest thing in the world and it's three movies. And then a fourth one comes out called The Phantom Menace. And what if what happens if you don't like it? Your A-plus series now averages a C and you are yeah. devastated by that yes. because you've been yeah. holding this finite amount of footage to such a high uh, right. standard that anything right. new is threatening, even if it's good. You know, And that's a, we can talk about how opinions well, of things change. Time. And that's because when they saw this, their window was wide open. They accepted these three movies. Yes, yes, to yes. People, you know, it I've talked to people who were like, well. "There's only one Star Wars movie." I'm like, "What Star Wars movie is that? The original? You know, The Empire Strikes Back with that Muppet? That's not very good." And you're like, "Oh, <laughs> your window was Continue. So, so yeah, the the this idea that you know Star Trek: The Next Generation is this beloved series, but I'm watching an episode of season <clears> one where there's this Leotard Jazzercise planet, and Wesley Crusher steps on from flo- steps on some flowers, and now he's going to be executed for it. And everyone's very '80s and fabulous. And I'm just like, this is not great, Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> the board, you know, but nobody cares about that. We love the Next Generation. We love Picard. We love the crew of the right. Enterprise. You know, right. that Star Wars has has moved into that kind of a it totally of a, has. Of, a, of a property where, you know, if if there's something that you're you you love or you don't love it, it doesn't matter because someone posted recently Star Wars is like a restaurant. You know, there's not yeah. you're not going to love Raul. Raul. Yeah. 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 You're not gonna love everything uh, on the menu. But, uh, how how but, much is uh, Dave Filoni kind of responsible for this or or can share uh, some credit for this how, how much do you, I mean, you guys have both got personal relationships with him and I, with him over there my belief is hugely because you know he's george's padawan he's the guy that trained under george working with him for over 10 years so that guy you know i i make a lot of jokes you know and and people sometimes retell stories where i caught david on a, on a continuity mistake and be like yeah you know how many how many times that guy has schooled me when I was about to make a mistake that, <laughs> that would have gotten the Star Wars fans very angry at me? Um, <clears throat> Dave has been through it. Dave really understands it on a molecular DNA level. And, mm. and you know, and, and John Favreau really also seems to very much get it. So you put those two guys together and it's, it's very, very exciting. Um, but my, you know, it's, it, it's a, it, David's, David Collins, is right because <clears throat> like star if you want these things to continue and i've said this before you have to accept that new blood has to be introduced into these beloved mythologies right mm-hmm. you don't need to love it but you need to accept that it that they're all building blocks that you do not get um you know like you don't get the next step um without for example you know without force awakens you don't get the mandalorian so whether you loved force awakens or dislike disliked force awakens 
um, this was this was how it needed to be built. These are all built, you know, building blocks and new blood needs to be introduced. You know, Last Jedi is obviously a hot topic to this day, but it was, a you know, whether you loved it or hated it, you you do not continue on this journey of making new stuff uh, if you're not willing to accept new blood and new ideas. Yeah. And uh, and that's very, very important. It stagnates and dies if you don't allow that. Like like David said, Star Wars could very easily become a brand where they print it on toilet paper and sell it. Or they, oh, it's just a star. You know, we made a, you know, this person or, wanted to make or a Or remember Wars. how cool that was? It kind took of the a brand. Spock helmet from years yeah. ago and put Star Wars on it and sold it. You know what I mean? <laughs> if you know the Spock helmet, that's a deep cut. But you know, they could have become just a licensing brand. And I remember when Kathy Kennedy made that announcement to the company that was very secret at the time that there would be a lot of new Star Wars. And I remember having the conversation with David. It'd be like, it's going to become Star Trek now, where people need to mm. exercise a little bit of discipline to watch what they love and, and discard the rest, which is how Star Trek has always worked from the very beginning you know city on the edge of forever is amazing spock's brain isn't that great but it's all there you know what i mean like and and that's you know my personal take on that so going forward you asked too victor is it hard to you know to to watch things without being critical it actually works both ways because one of the things that we talk about a lot is how hard this stuff is to make it's so hard when when you know how hard how difficult it is to do something your level of appreciation for everything um, is is incredibly high because yeah. you have this empathy behind the creative effort that that um, informs everything that you watch. So yes, you can see things maybe or hear things that that um, maybe an average consumer doesn't because that's your business. But at the yeah. same time, you know exactly uh, when something is 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 uh, presented to you on screen how much effort went into that. Or if you don't, you're even more bewildered because you're like, how did they do that? That must've been an, a huge undertaking. So you, you kind of give it this, um, you kind of, you kind of become cheerleader for it. Right. Um, you know, I, I work, I do a podcast called the soundtrack show where I, I, you know, I didn't work on any of these scores, but I just feel this constant need to, to praise the effort because of how it enriches our lives. And um, it's incredibly important. I, I feel, I mean, that, that's that's the, the the joy for me too, right? Is to uh, because I'm a critic as well, and I I review these things. But I I feel <clears throat> like I, I don't know. My life is enriched by being able to connect with the creative impulse. I think that's what makes us a human race. You know, like we we live to you know present something, a story to to leave something behind as we move through through the years. And I think it's incredibly inspirational to tap into people that wake up with that determination. It's not just, you know, grinding to make money that makes a life rich. It's it's that moment to appreciate our act of of creation and creativity and storytelling that makes a life rich, you know? And it's, uh, and, and the, I love and again, getting into that head. It's, it's, um, and it's, it's really interesting when, when you work on star Wars, because it's the creative impulse, but under a pressure cooker and the pressure mm. cooker. I mean, I felt, a I I thought I felt a lot of pressure when it came to force unleashed being like, Hey, creating star Wars characters is hard. 
And if they don't like mm-hmm. this star killer guy, it's got my face on it. So, oh boy, right? <laughs> Cut ahead to Clone Wars and, oh, you're going to be playing the dark side of the force. He's the sun and George Lucas, blah, blah, blah. Here's his idea. I'm like, oh, so now it's a direct George Lucas idea that I have to do. And I'm playing the dark side. And if I screw this up, then the dark side sucks. Oh, great. Fantastic. <laughs> I, talk, about, talk about hurting other pieces of star wars that are that have already existed and then if i suck then by i you know and then oh now you're going to be doing darth maul they're like oh great so i now i have an opportunity to make that suck and and the, <laughs> the, hard, part, the hard part is you you try your best and you're trying to connect to your own creative impulses while being aware of everything that has been made mm. and then trying to ignore the pressure of how is this going to be received by the fans and the here's the other thing you don't always know what you're getting from the fans because, you know, right. the way things are released, like, for example, there is, a, there is an unnamed Netflix series that, that, that came out and released a number of episodes and it ends on a giant cliffhanger. Well, until that cliffhanger is resolved, people are either hating or loving whatever that is. And that's how it exists. When Ahsoka Tano came out, you know, oh, the tween, I can't believe this. This is terrible. And that's how it existed until public opinion changed. You know, uh, for a good week, I was the guy who ruined Darth Maul because Darth Maul was a spider creature. Mm. And until the next episode came out, there were, there were audience members who understood this is all part of a story and it's all going to change. and It's going to be interesting. And I'm, I'm drawn in by this. And then there were yeah. other audience members who were like, why did you even call it Darth Maul? This isn't this weird spider thing. Isn't Darth Maul. This is crap. Right. You right. know? And so for a week I got to enjoy, you know, getting beaten senselessly on Twitter. Yeah. Um, but so, you know, and the thing is, is the fans, if I were to give them advice, it's always be patient. You yeah. may not like this, but you might like the next thing. It might be your favorite thing if you're just patient. Just, so true. you know, have a little faith, you know, that that's that- one thing that has changed fan culture in general and the platforming that every voice has out there, you know, over the last yeah. two decades, the Facebooks and the YouTubes and the and the Twitter yeah. and how quickly the mob can shift and, and uh, it must be terrifying to build in that era uh but i think what's happened with the bad batch is there i I mean correct me if i'm wrong but i think universally there has just been this a love and appreciation and acceptance and and uh um that must be weird too it must be weird to to put that out it's like what's that like david what (laughs) what is that like i mean i have to i have to first of all say that you know the bad batch uh owes a tremendous debt to clone Wars season seven you know yeah and um and and i don't even mean the bad batch arc of course and by the way i would love to take an opportunity to thank the countless number of people that worked on the sound of of bad batch not just me i'm just here talking but yeah um, you know, including uh, Kimberly Patrick and, and uh, Bonnie Wilde and a lot of a lot of Sky Sound artists that did Rebels and Clone Wars before I, I was ever given the opportunity. And then they showed me how to do it. But, you know, if we didn't have those super strong arcs in the Clone Wars and, and leave on such a high, you know, that goodwill, I feel like, was directly transferred over. And, and with the Bad Batch, I, I don't even know if it was necessarily about those characters because they weren't playing a... They weren't playing our looking glass through this era in the Clone Wars. They were playing these these other super soldiers that were mm. kind of an interesting 
um, you know, uh, 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 what do thread. you call them? Not, uh, interesting thread, but they were, they were, um, they were Clone Force 99, which means that they were, uh, 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 clones that were, uh, what's the word I'm Def- looking for? Defective in some way. Defective. Uh, there it is. Defective. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was, was yeah. going to say aberrant, but yeah, defective. Um, and that's all that they really were. It was just kind of like, oh, you got the big one and you got the, the Rambo one and you've got the, you've got the technology one and you've got the, the bloodthirsty one. But now they're this, you know, you're watching all of that break down and it really is mm-hmm. because of where we came before. And, and, um, I will say though, in terms of, you know, this era of YouTube and platforms, I've actually, uh, I really enjoyed watching fan reactions because we didn't get our screening because of COVID. Right, we didn't get yeah, our, right. Our, right. our Star Wars celebration, you know, announcement. Right. you get to watch the episode with fans and hear 4,000 people freak out. You know, we didn't get any of that. And so I get it by watching, you know, YouTube reactions or seeing Twitter and it's been really gratifying, but you also do learn, you know, there are things that you can anticipate, you know, there's, there's how I look at it, you know, and like uh, infested is a great example. I loved working on that episode. It was like the closest I've ever gotten to working on aliens, but the amount of fan anxiety that the show itself created about what's going to happen with crosshair, you know, generated a legitimate impatience for, for that episode, you know? And so the word filler comes out and you just, and I just sit there and go, Oh, that's fascinating. You know, these problems I think ultimately get relegated to history. You know, they become mm-hmm. historical problems because, because just like Ahsoka Tano, just everything that Sam's been saying, you know, they become origins. They become those episodes that you go back to and you're like, Oh, I forgot about this episode. This is so fun. Yeah. Yeah. How interesting, you know, that, that this is where Sid and the Batch were and how where it's Omega the was at this point or whatever. Yeah, it's you know, taking time. All you can do is march to the finale. And that's valid. You know, that's a valid, you know, it's it's about how we consume the media, but that's also a fleeting um it becomes historical. I shouldn't say fleeting, um, because it's yeah. not unimportant. It's just that it does become a part of Star Wars's history. And 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 the our opinions about media change over time. They do. I've totally. on this Kurosawa kick because I've been working on you know I, I worked on Star Wars Visions and and you know it's fascinating. I can't to wait that. for that. By the way, holy crap! Oh, does yeah. that look incredible? Oh my I god! We are I, so I, freaking spoiled, man. I mean that's so that's that's the way I feel. I'm just sitting here. Okay, yeah. send me the codes. I'll review this. <laughs> it's like okay. I went from the Bad Batch finale straight into Visions. In fact, there was wow. some overlap. So, but anyway this idea that seven samurai and Ikiru and some of these classic movies were not that well received by or mediocre received by critics. And now right. historically, you know, are called the greatest uh, piece, not just the greatest movies ever come out of Japan, but the greatest pieces of world cinema ever, you know, Blade Runner. Greatest yes. directors. Blade yeah. Runner is a perfect example, you know, yeah. um, our, our way we perceive our art uh, changes over time. And totally. I just become comfortable with that more than I was in my twenties when I was making, you know, Bounty Hunter, Republic Commando, or, or, or Force Unleashed, you know, I've, I've become a little bit more relaxed about it because um, there's more Star Wars, there's more opportunity, there's, there's, yep. um, and fans, you know, uh, their, I, their opinion is. Dude, is it's, definitely- you know, what, you know, what, what's so interesting is again, you know, not to, not, I, I'm, we're not, you know, what I don't want to say is, oh, People are coming at it with the wrong mindset because the fact is being patient is difficult. If you could read only one chapter of a book uh, yeah. a week and yeah. your chapter, nothing, it's all sort of char- little character moments and a little sort of side thing, but it does, nothing really substantial happens in that week. Your opinion about that book for a week is going to be about that chapter. And that, you know, but the thing is in a book, not every chapter can be this giant momentous thing. Everything is there's, there's an old uh, saying in Hollywood that if every line is a zinger, 
no lines or zingers. If every yeah. line is this, what do you think? You know, like, well, then nothing's witty, you know, yeah. You, yeah. The stories have to progress and, and some moments need to be more incidental and some moments are the important moments and they're important because you showcase them, you build up to them. You know, you, you can't literally do an important moment every five seconds to, and have that mean anything. That's um, the challenge with episodic television too, which I think yeah. uh, Mandalorian yeah. and Bad Batch have effectively navigated around. You can't have like, the all the characters are about to die every episode no, and, and, and imagine it's, it's a, something that like the cw shows which you did a great run on supergirl on and and uh smallville you know we all look back with uh great love and admiration on but that's one of the, those the, the things that those shows have a a, a real challenge with because every episode is like they're all gonna die and then nope they're fine and then they're all gonna die nope they're fine it and loses it loses its comes, it yeah. does so, yeah it, and it's interesting you know if i were to if audience members in there, no one's asking me, but if some yeah. audience audience member asked me, how do I approach these things? I'd say, again, I'm talking about that window thing. And I, I learned a really important lesson about being an audience member from Frank Darabont, um, who's a friend of mine. Great, great guy. Yep. Frank Darabont. Congrats wrote, to him, did, by the way. The, yeah, no kidding. Wow, <laughs> man. <laughs> You know, That's a whole other hour and a half conversation. I'm sure. Yeah, I is, know it really is. Yeah, for anyone listening to this, uh, look it up, Frank <laughs> You know, and and if you want to know my personal stake in it, look me up in relation to Walking <laughs> Dead, and and you'll see me shooting my mouth off and blacklisting myself. Anyway, um, <laughs> but Frank Darabont, I was we were talking about some series, and I'm not going to say what series it is because I I feel like that could be taken the wrong way. But I felt like this series had lost its way, and I was like. I can't believe they did this and they did that. Oh, why did they do this? And it's just embarrassing. And why do they do that? And I was, I was shooting my mouth off about this at a dinner, uh, hang out with some friends. And, and Frank was like, well, I liked it. And I'm like, how could you like it, Frank? Cause they did this. And why would they do that? And why would they do that? And he goes, well, you know, listen, man, I've, I've been in this business for a long time and I've learned that it is a minor miracle when anything ends up halfway good, let alone yeah. great or excellent. Yeah. Uh, yeah. it, every, this is really, really hard. All of it's really, really hard. And I actually sit down to watch that show to be entertained. And, and you know what I liked that they did this and this, I thought that was wildly wonderful and entertaining. You're right about the things they did wrong, but I'm, I'm not working on that. I'm watching to be entertained. And I was like, Oh, I've got to check my ego and my, all of these things at the door. If, if I want to have a good night, I have an opportunity to have a good night. All I have to do is toss that stuff aside, toss my expectation aside and allow it to entertain me for the things that it's doing right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, yeah. Uh, and that helps me personally get through the weeks where I really want this to happen. Oh, it hasn't happened. Oh, it's a week where I didn't get what I wanted. It, it, when, when the stakes aren't that high because you're like, Hey, let's just see what you got. You kind of sit back and let the story unfold rather than be white knuckled. Now it's very hard if you're a Star Wars fan because the white knuckling that people do from episode to episode is Built because in. they love it so much. Yeah, <laughs> because they, you know, from my own experience, when we introduced Darth Maul as a spider creature, we knew that some of the audience members would hate this because it's not what they expected. But we knew we had to do it. George knew we had to do it because he, Darth Maul, can't just come back fully formed and say, "Hey, boys, I'm back." And yeah. It's a terrible story. There had yeah. to be huge consequences for what happened in Phantom Menace, and there had to be an interesting new story being built from that. But having said that, me and Dave were very clear that the next episode after Spider-Mall 
had to be well, Phantom Menace Mall. That we yeah. had to eventually give the audience what they wanted for a moment before we went off and built our own version of that character. We had to do the, you know, so, so, you know, you, it's, it's ebb, it's flow. The big important moments mean nothing if you don't have moments that are quote unquote less important. You know, it's, it's, you, you have to let this stuff all unfold. And then when you look back with history, you end up enjoying the incidental moments, the less important moments so much more because you're not white knuckling it. You're not afraid totally. that, it, oh, is it going to go anywhere? No, it'll go somewhere. It'll go somewhere. Just yeah. give it a second, you know? I want to go back to Bad Batch here for a sec. And I, I feel like, guys, I, I want to have you back on both soon because <laughs> there's so much that we can dive. Every 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 discussion point just explodes in my mind about where we can go on all this. Um, but Bad Batch introduced Omega. And Dave, I don't know how much you know about what they're going to do with Omega, but I think she's an amazing character. She's a fascinating character. I uh uh, spoiler to those that haven't uh, seen everything, but she's a clone like the Force 99, but she's fully formed as a kid and and she's older than the the uh, Bad Batch, which was when you hear that. But there is this sense of like they're going big with this character. There's this character is not incidental. She's not just a, a thing for the batch to, to protect. I, David, I don't know what you know about where Omega goes. But I would love to hear what you guys think of Omega and from the context of how important she will factor into not just the show, but Star Wars lore, because I think she's incredibly important. And I'm just guessing because I don't know where they're going. I, I remember, um, you know, having lived through the the, the closure of, of LucasArts and watching the Clone Wars end and then come back and watching the Disney sale, which I thought, well, that, that would never happen. I mean, so many things have happened in Star Wars that probably around six or seven years ago, I, I started saying this a lot to people, which is it's Star Wars. And so anything can happen. You Just when you think something is over or wrapped up, you know, I mean, Darth Maul came back, you know, there, anything yeah. can happen. Um, so historically we know just looking at ahsoka that you know that that is probably one of the greatest character arcs totally. of all of star wars and it just yeah. is promising to keep going i know nothing about it i mean i'm 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 in a good position because i know very little about about where right. it's going um you know i mean i can share that there's a season two because we all know it um but i i just instinctively looking at omega from what i was getting watching season one you know here's this makes sense to me that, you know, if Django requests an unaltered clone for himself as part of his payment, then the Camino Kaminoans would probably be like, yeah, we should keep one of those, you know? And, uh, and so if she is an unaltered clone, there's alpha and Omega, then, you know, and aging naturally, then yes, she would be older than the bad batch, which were bred to immediately go out and kill clankers, you know, uh, terminate clankers. And so that that part of it was fascinating to me. And this idea that that was slowly revealed in the first season, yet she picks up the Zygerian bow, you know, when I designed that bow, first of all, I didn't design it alone. The, the, it, it has its roots in sort of the Night Sister sounds that Dave Acord made for for Clone Wars. But I did redo the, 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 the I, I added a lot of like clanking and kind of badassery to it. And then the the fire sound of that bow, I made just bigger than life, bigger than her, bigger than anything else in the episode. I mean, they're the beginning of decommission when she's doing target practice. It's just like, bling, 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 you know, 
And I'm like, I look back at why I did that. And it's like, well, this is this huge power that she's not even ready to control yet. She can't right. control it yet. I mean, you, you got those noodle arms, you know, Sid's character and, and yeah. you got her and then she just go bam, 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 bam. You know, with some experience, that's where, you know, that's where you can go. And even by the end of the episode, she's starting to get the hang of it. Totally. That yeah. to me is a perfect metaphor for the potential of Omega. You know, she's got this, um, She's got this tremendous heart. I mean, I'm starting to see memes online of like, be more like Omega. It doesn't, yeah, you know, she's always yeah. going to give you a second chance. She's always going to save you. She's always going to root for you, even when you're being, you know, crosshair, being a total jerk and not seeing things, you know, the same way as, as everyone else. And, um, but she's, she's pure hearted. She's smart and she's absorbing everything. Her window is wide open, Sam, you know, yeah. she's absorbing everything the batch is teaching her and there, and, and she's opening them. It's endless. I, I look at Omega and I just think it's it's endless, you know, again, and it's perfect for her name. You know, she can she can just go as far as the series decides to take her. That's not that's Jennifer Corbett and Brad Rao and, and Filoni's job. You know, yeah. my job is to just be there and help them realize their vision, which is something I love about sound. I also love I was just thinking about this the other day. I don't think I've ever said this in an interview, but I love that I get to be the first human to hear what an episode <laughs> is going to sound like. Oh, wow. Meaning, yeah. You know, I, I get the dialogue from him and I get the visuals and I'm already blown away by it. But Kiner Brothers, are, you know, they're over there making their music, you know, with that team. The Foley crew, uh, which is Frank Ranella, Margie O'Malley, uh, Andrea Gard, Kim Patrick, they're even in COVID doing original recordings for every episode, footsteps and props and all kinds of little business to, to you know, to make the world feel real and alive. Mm. I'm cutting sound. I'm doing sound design. Sometimes I'll bring on, you know, another editor too, because I, the schedule is tight and I, I need some help so I can focus on something like the bow, you know, and I get, work up all my material. The Foley makes Foley crew makes their delivery. Kiner makes their delivery. And I bring it all up in the session for the first time. And I, and it, you start chipping away at it. Like it's a sculpture and you just start going, Oh my God, like this is, that's when you start getting the goosebumps, you know, this is, this is incredible. And you become so motivated to present it as beautifully as you can for the director, you know, and be like, here it is. And then you guys get to jam on it for a while and just be like, what if we took the music out here and then really boosted it here? Or what if we, you know, just, just slide that sound over a little bit that, and, and add a wind gust right here just for drama, you know? Oh yeah, that's great. And you start like really getting into the minutia of it to, to elevate it. Um, that stuff I, I just live for. Um, and so, you know, there's a kind of Zen thing to doing sound where you're, you're really, you're really helping realize the vision of others. There's a service being at Sony was really good for me because it, it, it gave me a service oriented attitude, you know, which right. is that you you're know, bouncing from project to project. Yeah. And I, I recently yeah. worked on a movie called nine days as well, which is in theaters at Sony pictures classics. And that's a Sundance movie director named Edson Oda. And it's a beautiful, beautiful, very moving movie. And this whole idea that Skywalker is doing, you know, with the Sundance Institute and, and the Sundance Institute in general, just helping filmmakers find their voice and then cool. using Skywalker sound to, augment that into something special I, awesome. I feel like that's the gig the gig is to 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 take everything you have in terms of love in your heart and your skill and your education and your talent and whatever it is and just throw it with reckless abandon at the screen or the speaker right. whatever you know right. and um and so you know what do i know about omega very little what do i see in omega as a star wars fan endless and what what i've tried to set up is that feeling that you know, there's like a natural kind of vibe that you get with the writer and the director of like, okay, this is, this is probably where it's going to go. 
and hopefully that you're on the same page. Otherwise they would have replaced me, you know? Um, <laughs> and you just bring all of that to the, to the character. And I think that Omega is just, and Michelle, uh, uh, what's her last name? Michelle, Michelle, Lang. Michelle, Michelle Lang. Lang. She's amazing. She's amazing. She, I've never met her, you know, you uh, know but she yeah. this huge depth of emotion to that character that is far beyond the years of, of the character. Anyway. Totally. I think that Michelle Ang is bringing so much opinion to every moment. And, and as an actor, I really appreciate that. Yeah. She and, makes strong choices, right? Yeah. She's bringing, there's, choices. there's never a moment where Michelle Ang isn't really telling you what's going on with Omega. And what's wonderful about that is much like, Luke Skywalker before her. She's the point of view character. So if there's something going on around you, Michelle Ang gets to tell you how a child would feel about that in that situation. And I just think that is an amazing, wonderful thing for Star Wars is, you know, you want your protagonists to, to be these wide-eyed um, uh, lenses, uh, vessel for, for what's happening around. And she, what, what I find so interesting about her character, what I love, you know, in that in that finale, if now that we're talking spoilers, she does, you know, some people, you, know, you get older, you get cynical and you go, Oh, it's the, the hero does the right thing. You're like, you shouldn't be cynical about that. Yeah. It's important. It's important for young people to learn the lesson that it's not just about what's right for you. It's about what's right. That you Especially should do what's right in a, in a pandemic, right? Especially <laughs> pandemic. And, <laughs> Truly. That that last moment, she does the right thing, and and you go, well, yeah, but you know, what's dramatic about that? Because everyone wants their Star Wars to be all dark, and it's like, yeah, what's dramatic about it is she has just she she's gonna die. She yeah. decides to save Az, played by the uh, wonderful Ben Diskin. Uh, mm -hmm. She decides to save the droid because this is like her friend. And it's a droid in Star Wars. There's this weird, like, does that, do, do droids even count? And she goes, no, they count. They count. Yeah. In fact, I'm going to dive in there to save my friend. She's going to die. There's Couldn't no way out of it. She does, she's not good enough yeah. to grab that droid and swim up to the surface. And, yeah. and that's not the point. She goes, no, I'm going to, I'm going to make the hard choice is to try to save the droid right now. And, yeah. and in a very hopeful Star Wars message that you know oh, that, that i'm getting i'm getting chills that, remembering exactly. that right now sam that's so good that, yes that moral decision the right that moral yep. decision becomes that. infectious and even crosshair gets yep. in on the act and saves them both yep. because she does that that crosshair has yep. a moment where he redeems his his prior behavior because she's made a very difficult decision star wars has always always been about mm -hmm. you know the selfless or the selfish right and I don't think anyone would have blamed her to stay in that pod and keep ascending as no, yeah. as there would have been no judgment. No one would have blamed yeah. her because you're like, that's certain yeah. death. Yet what we learned about Omega is that's that's out of her head. She goes, no, the right thing is to go down in there. And you go, you're going to die. If you're like, well, that's for the universe to decide. And the universe decides that it's like, no, because you made this sacrifice. And, and the bad guy, you saved him. You saved his life. Yeah. Yeah. And the bad guy is going to go, uh, bam and save you i mean it's it's a very interest it was an incredible star wars moment and it's an yeah. important thing for these young characters you know ahsoka tano when she's young luke skywalker they, they put them in these situations where there are they aren't they're not easy decisions to make it isn't simply you do the right thing because that's the right thing and we move on no 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 there's 
huge consequences and there's risk and there's sometimes uh, emotional injury in doing these things. But the hope is that those types of things spread, that they're infectious, that they catch on to the people around you. And that's the way the force works. The, you know, that's how it is. And, and I love these softer characters in Star Wars. You know, um, I love Wicked. I love these, these younger characters. I love Omega because if you don't have something soft and pure or even cute, fuzzy, whatever, then I don't understand what the good guys are fighting for. I do true, not get true. what Star Wars is about if Star Wars yeah. doesn't get cute. If Jar Jar isn't kind of floppy and weird, then you don't, it, it, then Star Wars starts losing the its innocence. shape. Because the older, right. more cynical people are like, well, listen, I've been, you know, it's Star Wars is going to be badass. And sometimes Star Wars is badass, but that's not what it's about. And what it's about is... I mean, look at uh, Grogu. Oh, my God, right? Right. Like Hopefulness. the total distillation of that. Yes. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's Star yeah. Wars is about hope. Star Wars is about, you know, having I've, that... I have an interesting... Yeah. What's up? I have an interesting story about Grogu. Um, you know, we, we were doing... We did loop group on Mandalorian season one, and there were just four or five of us. I mean, it was a really small crew at the time because they didn't know it was going to be the hit that it was. And yes, and we, we knocked out all eight episodes in a day. I mean, just by the end of the day, I was like, oh, you know, the, <laughs> everything I was going, Suka, Suka, you know, to the, to the, to the Raiders and the speaking of seven samurai, the Raiders episode that Bryce Dallas Howard did to, to um, you know, to the end of the season with stormtroopers. And, and every time Grogu was on screen, they had pixelated it out. And at the time, I remember thinking to myself, really? I mean, you know, I'm working on this other Star Wars. You, what, what possibly is going to be there that you're trying to keep secret from <laughs> us working on this, you know? So you guys uh, didn't even know that it was a Baby Yoda creation when you were working Matt on it? Matt Wood did, of course. You know, Dave okay. Acord did. I didn't. I was there. Uh, I think Gray Delisle was there. Um, and uh, we we didn't know what it was. And at the time, I was just like, it's so, it, you know, the culture of secrecy is just so funny. And we had seen it before on Force Awakens and a couple of other things. Sure. But then I saw Mandalorian after doing the loop group. They still withheld scenes from us. They did the same thing in the movies. They withheld certain scenes that didn't need us. Sure. And I was blown away by Grogu. I couldn't believe. And I, when he makes the decision, when he sees that the cap is missing from his, uh, from his uh, lever, you know, in the cockpit. Yeah. Yeah. And he makes the decision to go back. I went, yeah. Like I was yeah. so, yeah. so ready to see that, that this whole season wasn't just going to be about, you know, um, kicking ass, uh, the man with no name going in and, and having a gun. Fight, yes. You know, yes. it was going to be about, about challenging um challenging our place in the universe and having to understand ourselves through others you know and that just i think the heart of that is what makes that show so popular so star wars it's not just that the it's puppet is so amazing. good like it's so freakishly yeah. like no way could we have anticipated how good this show is I, I i mean you guys must feel this too it's like what if we had seen this when we were 13 or whatever you know when it's so freaking good and I, I think that there's there's beautiful connective tissue between rogue one and its weird crazy tangents and the mandalorian and now the bad batch you know like they're the, and they there's an interesting like, but Star Wars, you know, being, you know, we talk about 
watching it when we're 12, watching it now. It's this generational thing. You know, George Lucas has said it's for 12-year-olds, but it's also for large generations because ultimately yeah. one of the huge hopeful messages in Star Wars isn't just, hey, you're a young person and you can, you can grow into a good older person and you can become your own person. That's one of the messages. Another message is that the world beats you down. Anakin mm. Skywalker, the, you, you become cynical, you become hardened, you become Mando. Mando was not a nice guy when we, when we yeah. met him. And, right. and, that, and that if you actually start listening to yourself, if you crack that window open a little bit mm. and start really listening to the, what the world is telling you, because the Sith, what they do, they block out the world. Yeah. Someone wants to tell me, no, no, I can't hear the word no. This is this is this is my world, and I will now make the world around me the way I want it to be. But if you open up that window and you 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 actually take in what the world is giving you, and you're honest with yourself, that one of the messages of Star Wars is that the older characters, despite even you know even Luke Skywalker when he becomes you know whatever he's like however old he is when he fights Vader in Return of the Jedi, whether he's twenty five or thirty or whatever, that the world is beating you up and trying yes. to harden you. And you have an option and the option is throw your lightsaber down and say, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. The option is to take baby Grogu and go, I'm going to, sp- I'm going to blow my uh, status with the bounty hunter guild and I'm going to be hunted and this and that, but this is the right thing to do, right? Mm-hmm. He saves himself. Grogu saves him in that moment. And he saves himself. Vader saves himself by helping Luke that the world had beaten the hell out of Vader, turned him into a machine. And Vader finally, at the last minute decided to make one right call one good call and be like, no, that's not the right thing to do. I'm going to do the right thing. And, uh, and again, you know, it's, it's seeing echo make a good move, do something really positive. Um, because he saw, he, you know, it was demonstrated for him by Omega, you know? So it's, it's not just a message about young people coming up. It's also about older people who've been beaten down a little bit, or, you know, Luke Skywalker, the world is trying to turn you to the dark side at times. Totally. And I love that with uh, Mads Mikkelsen scene as well in Rogue One, where he uh, on the on the base where the uh, he, he gets killed. I, I, that just makes me emotional every time. And and Jin rushes to him, and they have that cool moment. It is. Jin, it is. It's, it, who's who's been beat up? Who's trying to pretty much stay out of to stay? She's trying to stay away from life because life has hurt her so badly. And then suddenly yes. she goes on this mission where she's not coming back. And she's going to deliver these Death Star plans with the just the the faintest bit of hope that someone can do something with them. Yeah. And she'll she'll give her life for that mission. I mean, these are incredible, you know, these are these are incredible stories about hopefulness for all ages. That yeah. no matter how old you are, no matter how much life has beaten you up, <clears throat> that there are options. You can choose to pry your window open, listen to the world, listen to the force, and do something positive. Do something right. Do the right thing at the right exactly. moment. Hey, yeah. listen, guys, I, I, um, I don't want to end this. <laughs> like, I would just <laughs> sit here and talk all day. You're so fun to talk with. And I knew this was going to happen. So how about we open our windows to coin a phrase <laughs> to us reconnecting after Star Wars visions, after we've seen That's those cool. episodes in, oh, in uh, that. oh boy, does that so sound cool? Yeah, yeah, me too. So they start in September, right? I, I don't even know the date. I mean, it just feels like every day I get something from Disney's coming out now from the, every day. Disney Plus September or Disney yeah. September 22nd. OK, yeah. so it'll be like 10 episodes or something like that. Or uh, how many episodes are there? I believe they're nine episodes. Yeah. Nine episodes. OK, nine well, episodes. yeah. 
So I'll start bugging you guys in the fall. And then after Star Wars Visions has wrapped up, let's please loop back and, and nerd out like this again. It's so much fun. Sounds great. right on. That's how uh, cool. Yeah. 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 Well, you guys, you guys are incredible. My guests today have been Sam Whitwer and David Collins. And uh, you should uh, be as blown away by looking at their IMDb pages as I was today, because it's incredible. These guys have worked on so much stuff that we love. And it was a real treat to have you both here. Thank you so much, you guys. And thank you all for watching. We will see you soon. And until then, play forever. <laughs> <laughs>